0: All right. Well, We're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 11, and this is the story of David and Bathsheba. I was going to go through the whole chapter, but I think what we'll do tonight is we're going to actually just tackle David and Bathsheba, and then we're going to come and look at the second half of 2 Samuel chapter 11 next week with the effects. So Today we're talking about the snares of temptation, how the devil grabs hold of us, those, those pieces of things that he tempts us with maybe some pitfalls, maybe some, some things that we can put in place to help avoid those things. And then next week we'll come back and look at the story of David and Uriah, and what we'll do is we'll look and see what the long-term effects are of our sin. Because I think sometimes we have convinced ourselves, well, it's just a little sin, it's not that big of a deal, and it really doesn't affect a whole lot of people. But the reality is our sin impacts a lot of people. And what we can see in David's life specifically is one weak moment and one really bad choice for one sin affected a lot of people. But I will also say this, that the Lord put it in Scripture for you and I to see so that we can learn from it and so that we can learn how to stand against the wiles of the devil. So let's just jump into it. It's 2 Samuel chapter 11. I want to go ahead and read the first 13 verses and then let's kind of break it down a little bit. It says in the spring when kings march out to war, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. So so here's the picture. When kings would go out, and they were supposed to go out, and they were going to go tackle and take on and win over land and take over other kingdoms, when most kings were going out to fight the battles, and by the way, his entire kingdom, all his warriors were out fighting battles, David is sitting at home in Jerusalem. He remained in Jerusalem. Verse 2, one evening, David got up from his bed and strolled around on the roof of the palace. From the rooftop, he saw a woman bathing, a very beautiful woman. So David sent someone to inquire about her, and he said, Isn't this Bathsheba, daughter of Iliam, and wife of Uriah the Hittite?" David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to him, he slept with her. Now she had just been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Afterwards, she returned home. The woman conceived and sent word to inform David, I am pregnant. Now, Now you think about that. Just think about that for just a moment. One poor decision— He's in the wrong place, one weak moment, one poor decision, and bam, she gets pregnant. Verse 6, David sent orders to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite." So Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab and the troops were doing and how the war was going. Then he said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the palace with all his master's servants. He did not go down to his house. When it was reported to David Uriah didn't go home, David questioned Uriah. Haven't you just come from a journey? Why didn't you go home? Uriah answered David, The ark is "'Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents, "'and my master Joab and his soldiers "'are camping in the open field. "'How can I enter my house to eat and drink "'and sleep with my wife? "'As surely as you live and by your life, "'I will not do this.'" Stay here today also, David said to Uriah, and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day and the next. Then David invited Uriah to eat and drink with him, and David got him drunk. He went out in the evening to lie down on his cot with his master's servants, but he did not go home. I want you to think about this just for a moment. David, and by the way, I've said this before, I'm so tired of us boiling sin down to a mistake. Sin is sin. It's not a mistake. God says don't do it, we are not to do it. God says do it, we're to do it. So let's quit just saying, well, he made a mistake. David did not make a mistake. Now maybe he made a mistake for staying home, but it was deliberate. He made the decision not to go out and be in battle and lead his men. He made the, we could say he made the mistake of being on the rooftop, but he really shouldn't have even been there. Then we could say he made the mistake of actually seeing Bathsheba, and he made the mistake of not looking away. But from there on out, even if we could say all those were mistakes, it is not a mistake that he kept on. It is not a mistake that he called for her. It is not a mistake that he brought her back to his place. It is not a mistake that he slept with her. It is not a mistake that he got her pregnant. It was sin. And we as men have to stand up and call sin, sin. Well, you know, this is No, it's sin. That's how it is. That's the reality. David sins, and he's in a place that he shouldn't be when he's on the rooftop and he's not out with his troops. And so I want us just to see three basic truths tonight uh, when it comes to the snares of temptation. Number one, being in the wrong place sets you up for failure. David is in the wrong place. He made the decision to be in the wrong place. David has made the decision that instead of leading his troops... He is going to stay in Jerusalem. I want you to think about what kind of leader that is. Just, just for a moment, I want you to think. A good leader does what? Wow. Boy, that's, that's, that's difficult. That's, that, was, that was a hard one, right? I mean, that's just reality. And someone that leads means they're going before you and you are following after them. David is not leading. He is commanding. He's commanded his troops, you go out and win me more Soil. You go out and win me more people. You go out and win me more land. But he is not leading them. He is demanding that they go and do the work. David is in the wrong place. Now, we could say at this point that that could possibly be a mistake, but I will just say this to you. Idle time and being in the wrong place is a mixture for disaster. It's a recipe for disaster. David has placed himself in a position where nothing good is going to come about of him sitting idly by. I want you to think about this. Now, this is just my opinion. But when we go back to the garden and we look at how God designed Adam to work. Now, by the way, just a reminder, God created work before the fall. Now, sometimes we forget that. We think that work is a byproduct of sin. The reality is God called Adam to work before that. He designed you and I to work. Now, I think work looked totally different. There wasn't sweat. There wasn't tears, there wasn't thorns on the rose bushes, there weren't, there, the leaves didn't fall in the fall and, and winter wasn't, we didn't have all that because sin and death had not entered the world. But he called him to work. What did he tell him to do? He, he told him to name all the animals and he told him to watch over and protect it and to be there and have dominion over it. That's work. So when we look at work, work is a holy institution. God made work for you and I as men. I believe that one of the issues with us as men is that we don't work enough. Now, now don't get upset with me. And I don't want your wives to get upset with me either, okay? Because I know they already say we're at work too much. Studies show that the majority of men that are workaholics are not because they actually enjoy working. The reason they're workaholics is because at work, they actually get a pat on the back and encouraged to continue on. And they don't get that anywhere else in their life. And so subconsciously they don't realize it, but what they're actually seeking is approval. And so they'll stay at work because when they, when they take a task and they get it done, they will be seen by whoever's over them and get a good job, proud of you, great job. And so what men are actually seeking is not to be a workaholic, to work a ton. They're actually seeking that approval. Now, that's, that's a study that was done, not a Christian study. That's just a psychological study that I think Harvard did a few years ago. But what's interesting is when I say that we don't work enough, what I'm saying is, is that back then, if you study how they, how they worked, they would get up when the sun came up and they were out there working and they worked till the sun went down. And then when they went home, they just were all in with their families. And when it, went, it, when it was time to put their kids to bed, guess what? They were so slap exhausted from working all day and pouring into their family over the last couple hours that they didn't have time to go get in a bunch of trouble. You know what they had time to do? Go to sleep so they could wake up and do it again. And then they rested on the Sabbath. And what was the Sabbath designed? It wasn't designed to go play golf. I'm not against golf, by the way, just so you know, I'm playing golf tomorrow, okay? So I'm excited, all right? That's why I'm a little fired up tonight. But, so, so I'm not against that, but that's not what it was designed for. It was designed so that you would worship the Lord, and you would have that day of rest where the Lord would pour into you, and then you would get ready to go tackle the next six days, and over time, as we have seen the work day get smaller and work weeks get smaller, we find that there's more idle time to just do whatever we feel like. I was with a guy just about three months ago, and he shared with me that he's a firefighter. He's been doing it a long time, and he, he's a good friend of mine. And we began talking about what it's like to be a firefighter, and he talked about it. But he said, you know, the hardest thing about being a firefighter, I said, what is it? I said, is it fighting the fires? He said, no. I said, is it going into work and being there 24 hours and not getting any fire calls and just being there, just waiting? He said, no. He said, you know what the hardest part is? He said, the hardest part for me personally is that when I'm off for two or three days, my wife's at work and my kids are at school and I have all this time to get in trouble. He said, that's the hardest part for me. I said, wow, I never thought about it. And he said, well, I've got a lot of idle time. He said, no, I'm at work, I'm working. He said, but you know what? When I have that idle time and I'm isolated and I'm by myself, He said, I find myself in the wrong place at the wrong time. And he said, that is when the devil, that's his prime time. Why do you think there's prime time TV? Why do you think there's very specific commercials and very specific shows they put during that time? Because we're at a weak moment, and we're isolated by ourselves, and we're sitting there watching. The devil's smart. He knows exactly what he's doing. David had no business being on that rooftop. David should have been in a tent, out wherever his troops were, leading his troops. Remember, it is God who put David in that place. It is Samuel who anointed David to lead. So therefore, David should have been leading. But instead, he's on the rooftop. And it is in those times that being in the wrong place sets you up for failure. So here's what I want you to discuss for a few minutes. What measures can we take not to put ourselves in the wrong place? Now, I want you to think about it just for a moment. You and I plan all kinds of things, and we set things up in our lives in different areas. For instance, when I was doing some work on a tree in my backyard, I set some things up in place to protect me so that if there was something to happen, the chainsaw would go away from me. Now, I don't always do the right thing, but sometimes I get smart and I try to do the right thing, and I set some things in place to protect. When I'm doing things with my children, I go to protect them. I'm putting measures in place to protect them. When we're walking through even the church parking lot, a busy parking lot, I have my youngest one's hands, and I'm walking to protect them. I'm setting some things in place to protect myself and the ones around me that I love. So when it comes to being in those places, those wrong places, those places of isolation, what are some things we can put in place to protect ourselves? Why don't you take a few minutes around the table, discuss it, and then we'll come back together. All right, guys, what are, what are, we, what are we here at the tables? What are some things we can do to put in place to protect us against those things? Anybody? Scott? Yeah, love it, love it. So he said some of the guys at the table were talking about the impact of an accountability partner, somebody that can ask you those tough questions, someone that you can be transparent and open and honest with, love that. Also, lots of Scripture, putting Scripture up where you have that before you. I think that's in Deuteronomy. I think it says to put it on the doorposts of your house and on your foreheads and just having Scripture around. By the way, Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus was being tempted by the devil, what did he do? He a quote of scripture, right? So, okay, what'd you? That's right. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. One more. Yes, sir. Woo, yeah. Come on. Come on. That's right. That's right. Make a commitment with your eyes. That's right. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Job did that. That's exactly right. That's right. There you go. Hang around the right people. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's part of the beauty of this. As iron sharpens iron, one man does another. Hopefully we're doing that around the table. Yes, sir. Did you raise your hand? That's right. Yeah, that's good. Amen, amen. He said, wake up in the morning and get into God's word and set the foundation for the rest of the day on God's word. And he said, memorize Psalm 119, 33 through 35. So write that down, memorize those verses. You know, it's interesting that David is, is really, I mean, he's just put himself in a bad spot. When I when I look at this, it says, in the spring when kings marched to war, it, it was just known, this is what you did. You went to battle All the kings went to battle. David sent Joab with his officers. So he sends, listen, he sends his lead guy, Joab. He sends the rest of his officers. He sends all of his army. But instead of going with him, it says, but David remained in Jerusalem. How many of you know when we don't follow what God calls us to do, that oftentimes a lot of trouble follows? He puts himself in a position here where he's in the wrong place at the wrong time. Now, it's very easy for somebody that doesn't struggle with sexual sin to say, This does not apply to me because I don't, that's not my struggle. By the way, most men have a struggle with their eyes. That's what statistics tell us, okay? So, statistically, it's like seven or eight out of ten men in this room have a struggle with their eyes. One of the things that I think is important to do, I heard a guy say this a long time ago. He said, Derek, you've got to make a decision before there's a decision to make so that when that decision pops up, it's not a decision at all. Let me repeat it to you one more time. He said, Derek, you've got to make a decision before there's the decision to be made so that when that decision pops up, it's not a decision at all. I'm going to give you an example. I made a decision as a young child that I would not taste alcohol. I would never drink it. When I got to college and a bunch of my basketball buddies wanted to take me to drink alcohol, it was not even up for discussion because i had already made the decision. I wasn't struggling with it here because the decision has been made way back here. I had driven a stake in the ground and said, this will not happen. And so that's not a temptation to me whatsoever. I know that's not the case with everybody. So, what I'm saying is, this was a struggle for David. It's a struggle for a lot of men. But if you sit out there and say, this lust thing is really not my struggle, here's what I want you to understand sin is our struggle. And what the devil does is, with David, he plants this beautiful woman right in front of him. And David has, listen, there's nobody that's going to tell David no. He's the king, he gets what he wants. You and I don't necessarily have the privilege of getting whatever we want. But nevertheless, what the devil will do is he will put in front of us that which really tempts us, that which we really struggle with. I went to lunch with a guy one time. He was a, a pastor at my old church. He was one of the pastors on staff at my church in Chattanooga. And I'm going to say this as nicely and politely as I can. He was a decent-sized fellow, okay? And I'm not talking about height wise, it's height either, okay? I mean, I don't know how to say it. The man liked to eat. And so we went to lunch one day and we went to a buffet. Now he chose the buffet and I was excited. Now, back then I weighed a buck fifty five. You just eat whatever you want at a buck fifty five, okay? And so we're sitting at this buffet, and he said, Well, wouldn't you, wouldn't you know? I said, what? He said, you know, this is the reason I have such a struggle with my weight. And I said, well, well, why is it? In the back of my mind, I'm thinking, you went to an all-you-can-eat buffet. You probably made a poor decision to begin with. And, and he said, because, you know, when I come to these places, I just pray, Lord, let the dessert be something I don't like. I'm like 19 years old. I'm like, maybe that's theologically correct. Maybe that's a good prayer. I don't know but it really doesn't seem like the best it's like lord I'm going to walk out in the middle of this interstate I hope there's no cars today you know I mean it just doesn't seem like the best decision and I said well do you like the dessert he said there's seven of them I like all eight of them okay and so I said well we're in trouble okay and I thought to myself you've got to set some things in place now I'm not picking on him we had a good laugh about it and we talked about that and he shared with me as a as a 55 year old pastor on staff to a 19 year old young man he said this is my biggest struggle this is my biggest struggle in my life so we all struggle with something different but the devil is constantly tempting us. and if we're putting ourselves in really bad situations it just gives him the green light to come after us even more so on wednesday night if you choose to sit around the table with some guys they're going to point you to jesus that's a help but you decide not to come here and go hang out with whoever wherever you're putting yourself up for for issues So look what happens next. David is there. He sees this beautiful woman. Now listen, you and I, I'm just going to say it, we cannot help it if we see a beautiful woman. They're they're, they're walking around. That's the reality. God's made them. What we can control is what we do with when we see them. It is okay to take a look and look away, but that's it. You see, when I stood before my wife, In that little church, and I said I do to her, I said I don't to every other woman in this world. And so that's off the table. That's not an option. And so what we have to do is say, listen, I'm not going to look again. I am not going to look again. What does David do? He just hangs out there. He keeps looking. Then he doesn't only keep looking. He begins processing in his mind what could be if he were to call for her. And then he calls for her. And we know the rest of the story. And here's what I want you to see. Number two, I want you to understand isolation is a breeding ground for temptation. David had put himself in a place where there was zero accountability. Now, this past Sunday, my children and I had the privilege of coming to the concert here at Bellevue and listening to Phil Wickham. Now, I'll be honest with you, never, I never I knew I knew some Phil Wickham songs. I didn't know which ones he had written. I was amazed. Did anybody, did anybody come to the concert? I knew all of them but one. I could not believe this man had written all those. I mean, it was just unbelievable. Well, right before the concert, Noah said, hey, uh, Phil Wickham and his band are going to be up here. Would your kids like to meet him? I said, man, we'd love to meet him. And so we go back there, and he's, man, he's, he's not a big guy. Man, he's full of energy, and he's excited. He looks at my kids, and he says, what's y'all's thing? What do you love? And they said, we all four of them at the same time I said, basketball. And he said, no way. He said, that's my thing. I love basketball. He said, I played in high school. He said, I'm going to a Lakers game next week. And my kids were like, are you serious? My son was like, you get to see LeBron James. And he said, yeah, I'm so excited. And I said, well, uh, I said, Phil, are you going with your children? He said, well, I'm actually not. I'm going with my accountability group. I said, well, tell me about them. He said, Derek, I prayed for these guys for 15 years. And he said, God has brought me three men to hold me accountable he said, one of them's a pastor at our church. He said, one of them's a CEO of a company, and one of them's a, a lay guy. He said, just, just a member of another church that I had, had sang at. We're all in the same community. And he said, we meet every week. And he said, they ask me really hard questions. And he said, they keep me humble, and they remind me who I am and why I'm here. Can I just make a statement? He's making some really good decisions. He's putting himself in a place where he, he could be isolating himself away from everybody else and saying, look, I'm the man, I'm Phil Wickham, I've got it all figured out. You know, I'm a Christian, I'm, I'm singing all these songs, I'm, I'm flying all over the world on stuff. But he realizes he needs people speaking into his life. He needs men that'll be right there beside him. And this is what he said, he said, we're going to the Lakers game. He said, but you know, it's not really about the Lakers game. He said, I get to be with my guys. And he was so excited. And I thought to myself when I was reading this this week, poor David, no, David made a decision. He made a decision that he was going to be away from everybody else all by himself with zero accountability, and the only people that were in earshot of David had to do whatever he commanded them to do. And so he says, go and get her. See, when he's by himself and the devil puts temptation in front of him, that isolation, that time where we can just sit there and we can think and we can think and we can think, that is one of the most dangerous places we can be in. This is what I tell guys when I'm meeting with them specifically about this idea of pornography, I said, man, listen to me. When you're by yourself and you have access to anything like this or this, I said, when you're by yourself, you might as well put a big blinking light over your head, neon flashing light that says, devil, I'm here, come and get me. Because you're just there by yourself and the devil plants these thoughts in your mind, especially with the idea of pornography, nobody will know. It doesn't affect anybody else. And I could show you study after study after study, not just Christian studies, that pornography is literally destroying people. I don't know if you know this, but the studies show pornography is more addicting to heroin. I don't understand that. But when you think about sex and how God designed sex and how it's to be between one man and one woman within the confines of marriage, you understand God made it a beautiful and wonderful thing. Isn't it just like the devil to take what God created and to pervert it to the nth degree? And so what I'm saying is if you are isolated, if you're putting yourself in a place where there is no accountability and when you're spending lots of time by yourself with things like this, you're just opening yourself up to a disaster. Now, I'll put it to you this way. I had a friend of mine who had a major gambling addiction, major, very bad. Lost his first marriage because he got so far into debt they had to file for bankruptcy, and she ended up leaving him. This is probably probably close to 20 years ago. And so about five years pass, and he meets this new girl, and they end up falling in love, and he's going to have a bachelor party. And he had been struggling with, with this addiction of gambling. He had kind of gotten away from it. And he said, I'm doing better. I'm not really gambling. And I said, man, praise the Lord. And he had seen some victories in his life. And he had read the book, Reclaiming Surrender Ground. And, and God was doing some things in his life. And so he's telling me about getting married. He's telling me about this girl. And we hadn't caught up in a while. And all of a sudden, I said, well, where are you going on your, on your bachelor party? He said, man, we're going to Vegas. And I was just like, Lord, I know you're working. But I need you to work some overtime here. Like, like." There's only two of us at this table, but, but is, one of us is missing something here, man. Like, why, why in the world would you pick Vegas? I looked him dead in the eyes. I said, so let me get this straight. Your major struggle in your life is gambling, and you have chosen on your bachelor party to go to Vegas. And he goes, you know, when you put it that way, it doesn't sound good, does it? And I said, no. And we talked through it, and he ended up going to Vegas, and it didn't go well. I'll just be honest with you. But what I'm saying is, is that when we put ourselves in these places, and we're in places of isolation, we might as well just tell the devil, come on in. And I think one of the worst things that's ever happened to us are these things right here. Listen, let's just talk about pornography for a minute. Can I be just frank? If you have an addiction to pornography, if you have an issue with pornography, I'm not being ugly. I love you. And I sit across men all the time that have this problem. You do not need one of these. Period. You do not need one of these. Well, you don't understand. I have a job. Good. Figure it out. You've got to get rid of this stuff. You've got to go back to a flip phone that you have no access to anything. Until you begin to retake that ground, you do not need this temptation. Can I tell you why? Because you're not strong enough. You're not. So you have to make some decisions right now that you're not going to put yourself in a bad situation and be isolated ever again, ever. But a lot of times we're not willing to take those drastic measures. I think to myself, what if David had just been out with his men, sleeping in his tent? We never would have read this story. He never would have gone through with murder. Now some people say, well, he didn't technically murder the guy. He had the guy murdered, okay? It was murder, all right? I don't care how you, how you cut the pie. He puts the guy at the front and has him killed. And we see disaster after disaster after disaster because of one poor decision. And so, gentlemen, what I want to say to you tonight is pornography may not be your issue. Whatever it is, you have to take some drastic measures in your life. You need accountability. You need God's word. You need these circles. And by the way, when I say you, I'm talking to me. All of us need this. And by the way, it's not just for the gentlemen that have brown or black or red hair that are in this room or blonde hair that are in this room and have a full head of hair. This is for all men. All men. I talked to a guy about two months ago. And I asked him, I said, how long have you been a Christian? He told me, like 40 years. And we are talking, and we are having a great conversation. And he said, you know, it, it doesn't get a whole lot easier as life goes on with temptation. I said, what do you mean? This guy's like in his 70s. And he said, you know, my biggest problem, he said, is pornography. And I said, in, in my, it just caught me off guard. I'll just be honest, it caught me off guard. And I thought, well, good night. That means that drive does not leave. You still, and, and what does it say? Flee what? It says, fleet temptations. What, what, what does it say about youthful lusts? Youthful lusts. And I just thought it was interesting that this guy was so transparent. He said, but you know what I found? He said, if I have some guys around me that ask me really hard questions, he said, the Lord just uses them in my life. And I just can't stop but think, if David had been out there, we would have never read this story. I can't stop but think, if David had some men in there that said, what are you doing Why would you do that? But instead, he puts himself in this horrible situation. So I want us to discuss this question around the table. Well, if I can get there. How have you seen isolation hurt you? I'm going to give you mine real quick. I've shared with you that I had... um, some medical issues, I've, I've had lots of medical issues. I was just telling, I was. who was I, t- was I telling you Nathan? Yeah, yeah, so I was just telling him, he's, uh, we were talking about a uh, uh, ortho south and he was, we were talking about the surgery center over off Exeter Road. Anybody familiar with Exeter Road? Sur- yeah, okay, a couple of us. Okay, I've had seven surgeries there, okay? So I know exactly, I mean, I could probably tell you the address to it, all right? So we are just talking about it and, 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 and so I had had a surgery, I'd had a back surgery and I was isolated. My, I, I was having to lay flat on my back for weeks for like four weeks, and my family's at home, but to be honest with you, I'm driving them nuts. I mean, they've gotta do school, my, my wife homeschools them, and they were just having to get out of the house just to get away, because they were trying to stay quiet, and trying to be encouraging, and all this stuff, and so I found myself laying in that bed by myself a lot. And I found myself just having these thoughts of depression, and what happened was, is I was so isolated from the outside world, and anybody that could speak truth into my life, that I just kept into this, this circle. And I'd feel sorry for myself and I'd get more depressed and then I would justify why I was depressed and then I would feel sorry for myself more and it just kept on happening and this moment of isolation put me in the darkest time I've ever been in. And it wasn't until I got around some godly men that spoke truth into my life that God pulled me out of that. So I just want you to talk for a few minutes around your table. How have you seen isolation hurt you? Maybe it's as a child you didn't have a dad in the home. Maybe it's at work, you're working from home and everything you do is on a computer all by yourself and there's nobody around you. How have you seen it hurt you? Take some time, talk about it around your table. Ready, set, go. All right, gentlemen. Here's the third thing I want us to see from, from this story. Temptation that is not immediately eliminated becomes sin. You have got to deal with it immediately. David's in the wrong place at the wrong time He sees a woman and instead of just cutting it off right there, instead of just saying this will not happen, what does he do? He lets that thought run and it turns into sin, right? Instead of just taking what the Bible says, that thought captive and saying not today, he just lets that thought run rampant in his mind of what could be and what could be ended up happening. And so when we look at temptation, it has to immediately be dealt with right now. Brother Steve says that you cannot keep the devil from throwing fiery darts at your mind. You can't keep him from doing that. But what you can do is the second that fiery darts hits your mind, Brother Steve says, and I like a a, a visual. Pablo and I were just talking about a visual. Brother Steve says you take that dart and you pull it out and you blow it out and you throw it on the ground. That's what you do immediately. And what the research says is that you only have about seven seconds to make that decision. Seven seconds. And so going back to what Mr. Noble said, you got to get up and spend time with Jesus because if not, there's no chance you're going to be walking in the Spirit. But even if you do get up and spend time with Jesus, how many of you know you can be walking in the Spirit right now, but two minutes from now you may not be? Now maybe I'm the only one in here. But I've been, I've been driving in the Spirit before on Germantown Road. And by the time I got to the red light, next red light, there was no driving in the spirit. There was complete driving in the flesh. I've been on the interstate. I've I've had those thoughts. And it can happen just like that. Just like that. You only have a few seconds. So what we have to do, gentlemen, is we have to immediately take that thought captive. When you have that thought into your mind, what happens is... And I'm not not talking about the cartoon where there's the little devil on this side and the angel on this side, but what happens is the devil throws that fiery dart and the Holy Spirit prompts you and says, "Uh uh-uh. It's a still small voice. And you can either choose to listen to it and pull that fiery dart out and blow it out and throw it on the ground, or else you're going to go down a path of sin. And I'm just telling you, he is so wise. He is so crafty. They say that a really good archer, During this time frame, when they would have the armor, would work on being able to put their arrow within a half inch of where they wanted it. Why? Because they would look for just the little bitty crevice in between, and they would hit them right here between, or they would hit them right there where the armor came to the belt, and they would just try to find that little bitty spot, a really good archer. They aim small, and they miss small. That way they can hit that spot. That's exactly what the devil does. He studies you. He knows your habits. He knows your pathways. He knows your tendencies. He has baited you and he has watched you take it and then he continues to come after you with the same things over and over and over and over and over. And one of the reasons I know that is because if you've ever noticed this, and I've said this before, but... If in the Bible the Lord would have only addressed every single issue one time, the Bible would be a whole lot thinner. But he just keeps on finances over and over and over. He talks about not fearing over and over and over. He talks about rejoicing always over and over. Why? Because you and I forget. We need all these reminders. The Bible says we're like sheep who have gone astray right? Sheep aren't that smart. We need these reminders over and over and over. And what the devil is, is he comes and he finds those tendencies and those pathways, and he comes after you right there. And if you are in a weak moment, you're walking in the flesh, you're in an isolated moment, you're in a place that you're not supposed to be with no accountability, we fall. I don't know about you, but I have sin in my life. I've sinned plenty of times. But I would love to do what Dr. Rogers said. Dr. Rogers said, when you get saved, you don't become sinless, but you should certainly sin less. And as time goes on, hopefully that even looks differently. I hope to goodness right now in my life that I'm doing things differently than I did five years ago, ten years ago, even six weeks ago. Hopefully I'm learning from those things and I'm moving forward. David had put himself in a really rough spot. What does James tell us? Chapter 1, verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. I want you to think about that for a moment. David is in the wrong place at the wrong time. He's isolated. That temptation that was set in front of him, what happens to it? He doesn't nip it in the bud, as Barney 5 says. And what happens? He goes down into sin, and that sin brings forth death. That's what James said. you got to be ready for that. And here's what it tells us. I love what Paul says to the church of Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. Now, here's the deal. I heard Brother Steve say this one time. He said, the devil is so perverted that what he'll do is he will tempt you to sin, and then when you fall to that temptation, he blames you for it. That's how messed up he is. And so many of us walk around living defeated lives because we think if anybody ever found out that that I had an issue with this or with that, nobody else struggles with it. That's what the devil wants you to think. You're in a boat all by yourself. Nobody else struggles with this. Nobody else has a problem like this. Everybody else is better than you. That's what the devil wants you to believe. That's what he's coming after you with that nobody else. But what does it say here? No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. It is common. David found himself in a place of lust. You and I have been in a place of lust. Now, what we've done with that, hopefully, is not what David did. But this is what it says. But God is faithful. If you don't hear another word that I say tonight, I want you to hear it over and over again. God is faithful. He is faithful. I do not understand why this morning I got out of my truck and I didn't see Tim Shelton's smiling face. I don't understand. But God is faithful. I do not understand while a friend of mine right now is in the hospital on a ventilator fighting for his life. I don't understand. But God is faithful. This afternoon, I was sitting in my office looking at a picture of Tim and I and just saying, God, I don't understand. I look up from my desk, and I see Tim's wife, Miss Susan Shelton, her brother and sister, walking by, and I walked out to see him. And this is what Susan said. <laughs> she gave me a hug. She said, I love you. How are you doing? I'm supposed to be saying that to you. And I was reminded of God's faithfulness. Listen to what it says. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. David did not have to call for Bathsheba. He did not have to sleep with her. He could have left and gone away. Instead, he went down that path. You and I have temptation all the time. It's in front of us all the time. Sometimes we see success and triumph. Sometimes we see failure. But God always provides a way of escape, and I'm thankful for that. Brother Steve says this, and I'll just share these four with you real quick, how to eliminate temptation. Let me first tell you how to limit temptation. Now listen, I already told you, we cannot keep the devil from throwing fiery darts into our minds, but one of the ways we can limit some of that is by not doing those first two things we already talked about with David. He was in the wrong place, and he was isolated by himself. You want to know how to limit temptation? Don't be in the wrong place, be in the right place, and don't put yourself in a position by yourself where no one else will ever know if you stumble and fall. That's a good way to limit temptation, but how do we eliminate it? This is what Brother Steve says. He says, first, got to recognize it. When the devil throws that fiery dart, the Holy Spirit will say, "Uh uh-uh, nope, not today. And then you've got a decision to make. You can follow Christ and walk in the Spirit, or you can fall to that temptation and you can walk in the flesh. And the first thing you do is you recognize. You say, that's not of the Lord. That's literally what I want you to say out loud. I've done this since Brother Steve taught us how to do this a couple years ago. I had a thought pop in my mind just a few weeks ago. It was not with immorality but it's just a thought and it wasn't a good thought and as soon as it went there the Holy Spirit said no and out loud I said that is not from the Lord that's how you do it first you recognize it's not from the Lord the second thing you do is you reject it and this is what you do you keep your eyes open brother Steve says when you pray you want to get intimate with the Lord and close your eyes he said but if you ever speak to the devil don't bow your head to him don't close your eyes for him. He said, if you're praying, say, Lord Jesus, I pray your protection today. And he said, all of a sudden, you need to talk. To, and you say, devil, get behind me. He said, open your eyes and look him in the eyes. I like that. So I got this thought that passed on my mind, and the Holy Spirit said, uh-uh. And I literally out loud said, that is not from the Lord. I was driving down the road. I said, that is not from the Lord. And I said this, eyes open. I said, I reject that in the name of Jesus Christ. And then what Brother Steve says is you replace it. Well, what do you replace it with? Scripture. That's why we memorize Scripture. We memorize Scripture because somehow, and it's amazing how it works, when you're going through something, God brings back to memory these Scriptures that you've memorized. I was talking to a guy just yesterday. I talked to him on the phone. He was sharing with me something he was going through, and all of a sudden, a verse popped into my mind that I'm pretty sure I memorized in the fourth grade. I don't remember quoting it since then. I didn't remember that I knew it. And I said, hey, I'm not positive on the location of the verse. I think it's in Ephesians. I turned there and I quoted it to him on the, on the phone. I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you my parents raised me to memorize Scripture, and I'm so thankful they gave me that solid foundation so that when times like that come, you reject it. You say, nope, that's not of the Lord. I reject that in the name of Jesus Christ, and then you replace it with Scripture. You replace it with scripture. You say, what scripture do I replace it with? What God brings to your mind. Or here's what you do. You get your Bible promise book. I've given hundreds of these Bible promise books out. You can get them in the bookstore. They've got Bible promise books for men over there. You open it up on the front cover, and it says these different titles. It'll say fear, anxiety, lust, trust, disobedience, all of these different words. And you turn to the, that page that has the number beside it, and you look in there, and it just has six, eight verses on that topic. I, cannot, I have worn Bible promise books out. I'll be driving down the road worried about something. I'll pull over, pull out my Bible promise book, and I'll just read those scriptures out loud. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. But God uses it because there's power in the word of God. So you recognize it's not from the Lord. You reject it, you replace it with scripture, and then you rejoice. And why do we rejoice? Well, here's one of the reasons we rejoice. We go back to this verse and we rejoice that he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. You thank the Lord, he gave you a way of escape. You see, when Jesus Christ went to the cross and died, he defeated sin, Satan, hell, and the grave. And you and I can have victory in Jesus. It's why, as I was a little boy, growing up in church, singing from the hymnal, that one of my favorite hymns was victory in Jesus. Jesus. Because you and I can walk in the victory of Jesus, and God desires that we would have victory in these areas of our life. You may not struggle with pornography. You may have something else that you struggle with, but here's what I want you to know God has made a way of escape. I agree with all of the things that have been said. We need to get into God's Word early in the morning, we need to have Scripture everywhere. We also need some men in our lives that'll look us in the eyes and say, How are you doing? You shared a couple weeks ago that you were struggling with pornography. Have you looked at anything you shouldn't have been looking at? And there's different things out there to help with all that stuff. You need somebody to ask you those tough questions. It'll encourage you, and it will sharpen you. Now, I've never done this before, so we don't know if it's going to work, but, Tony, I want to try to play this video. I'm going to try to get, I'm so not tech savvy, it's not even funny. I was talking to a lady on my office phone today, and she wanted to be transferred to a, a, another lady here at the church, I had to set the phone down and go get the lady to come to my office and talk to her. Okay, So that's where I'm at right now. So I'm going to try to get out of this PowerPoint, go to YouTube, press play, and hopefully we're going to hear the sound. Okay, This is from the men's conference back in 2021. And I want you to listen to what Brother Steve says. I want you to think about this for just a moment. There we go. I love what he says right there. He says, The name of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, and the word of God. Oftentimes, when we talk about pornography, when we talk about sin that men struggle with, because we all have struggles, we tend to beat people up over it. A lot of times, men will go to church on Father's Day and they'll leave feeling defeated because they've been beat down a little bit. I want you to know this. You have sinned, and you have sinned in your life. I have sinned, and I have sinned in my life, but by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we can have victory. And so I am not here to beat us down. I am here to challenge us to be better, to be more like Jesus. When the devil came to tempt Jesus, He stayed calm, and he quoted Scripture. And I want to encourage you with this. I believe with all my heart tonight and tomorrow the devil's going to come after you more than he has the first half of this week because we talked about it tonight. But here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want to challenge you to recognize that temptation, to reject it in the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the power of Jesus, and the Word of God. Then I want you to replace it with a scripture. And then I want you to rejoice that God has given you a way of escape. We look at David. He did not do this in this instance. And we can all point to places in our life where we did not do it either. But can I just make a statement? We can do it going forward. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And I love what Brother Steve said. He said, you don't have the power to defeat the devil or to bind that strong man, but you have the authority to. Because he said, the Lord has deputized us. And so I want you to walk away challenged. That yes, the devil is coming after us with everything he's got, but the Lord has made a way of escape. And I want to challenge you To take those thoughts captive and to replace them with the word of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it's alive and well. Lord, thank you that it has every single thing that we need. Lord, I thank you that we can go to it in times of trouble. We can go to it in times of of rejoicing. We can go to it in times of just needing to be filled up. We can go to it to learn. It has every answer to every question ever asked. And Lord, it's your letter to us. I pray that we will fall in love with your word. And Lord, I pray as I know with all my heart the devil wants to destroy these men to destroy their lives, to destroy their families. And he's not working overtime. He is working without stopping. Lord, that we as men of God would stand up. We would put on the full armor of God. Instead of being on the rooftop like David, we would be in the battlefield with our armor on. And you tell us in Ephesians that we can stand against the wiles of the devil. Lord, you have deputized us. And, Lord, I send these men out to stand against the wiles of the devil, to recognize when he tempts us, to reject that in the name of Jesus, to replace it with the word of God, and then to rejoice because you are on your throne and you have already won the war. So, Lord, thank you for these men. I pray your richest blessings upon them tonight as they leave. We love you, and we pray this in your precious name.